Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. How is everybody? Good. So I was talking to my buddy Mike over here in the peanut gallery and as he came in and he tells me tonight they are out taking pictures for prom. If you've been around town, if you've been into some of the higher-end restaurants, right? Or the zoo, last week I saw this, all the girls out in their colorful dresses and the boys in their tuxedos. I'm not quite sure how to walk in those stiletto hills, you know how that works? They all gotta wear them though, I don't get that. But uh, I have a story for you about a boy and a girl and a high school dance. And the boy was me, and the girl was Lisa. Now Lisa was a blue-eyed Irish girl with a shock of red hair. She was my equal counterpart in being a smart aleck. This girl used to come up to me and she'd say, Cooper, I was watching you at practice and you swing like a rusty gate. Let your uniform fit you, boy. And I know one time she said to me, you know, Mark, I'm not a shoe and you can't try me on. So she had that kind of pizzazz. You have to think about that one, right? So, uh, but she was my friend. She was a true friend, and I remember she used to stay up late at night with me on the phone helping me pass trig, or helping me finish my English papers. And I always felt like she was kind of a wingman to me. Now, one of the things that I didn't tell you that Lisa and I shared in common is we were both the oldest children in our family, and we both had two younger sisters. Her sisters were Catherine and Mary. And uh, Catherine and Mary were at my house all the time with my sisters, so we got to know each other pretty well. One day I'm sitting in the parking lot of uh, school with my 1972 Toyota Hilux truck, you know, real muscle car. And uh, up walks Lisa and she sort of saunters up there and she stands there and she puts her finger right on my chest and she just turns it up and she says, Mark, you know, the dance is coming up and I think you need to go with me. And I said, oh, well, do tell. What are you going to be wearing? And she says, well, I might wear my little red party dress. I said, do I have a choice? She goes, you do not. <laughs> so, so I said, all right, Lisa, I'm game. Now, what I didn't tell you also was that I kind of had a thing for Catherine. You know, Catherine sort of inspired that little oxytocin dopamine. <laughs> Some of you know about that there? Kind of like what Amanda did with the power tools there. But, uh, I, uh, you know, Catherine was always, always sort of in my eye. And, and this last few months before this dance, we would pass each other in the hallways. And I, you know, you kind of get that shiver when I'd walk by her. And we exchanged glances, and then we started exchanging notes. You know, the precursor to modern texting that we do now, right? Remember we used to pass the papers, and then the teacher would read it in class? So, uh, so I saw her. I said, uh, I said, Catherine, you know, your sister's asked me to the dance. And she goes, yeah, I know. Well, what do you think about that, little bird? And she said, well, I think you should go. And I said, well, are you going to be going? And she goes, well, actually, I'm driving Mary and Tommy's brother because my folks are going to be gone to San Francisco, so I'm going to be the chaperone. And I said, oh, well, I might see you there. And she said, you might see me there. And I said, okay. So we left. Now, the dance, okay, the high school dance, it was classic mid-1980s. Standing outside the doorway, you hear a little purple rain back there. You hear a little, wake me up before you go-go. And for us, flat-edge, you hear a little Alabama. And 
It's the verge of possibility, and the possibilities are endless at this time. We are stepping into the future, and this is the last big dance of the year. We're so excited. We're in there getting our groove on, and I remember it's like Cindy Lauper. She bought, and all the girls are going, and I'm going, do you guys know what this song is about? <laughs> and uh, I just remember hearing this, get, getting into it, and somebody grabs my shoulder and whips me around, and they say, Mark. And this is a problem because this is my friend Tommy, and Tommy never calls me by my name. It's always dude or hey or something, but it's never Mark. And he says, Mark, there's been an accident. Get Lisa, come back to the hospital with me. And I'm, I'm looking at him, and I'm what accident? Who? What accident? I turn around to see Lisa, and she's running off to the coat check to go get her bags, and her girlfriends are following her, and our, the friends that we came with are all running out, and I'm... What, what's happened here? What accident? He says, just get in the car and go. Follow me. So we get in the car and we drive about six blocks to the hospital. Lisa jumps out of the car. She runs in to, towards the emergency room intake desk. I'm following behind her as fast as I can. And just as I walk in the door, somebody else shakes me around. And I see Tommy's mother. And Tommy's mother is in her bathrobe. And her mascara is running down. And her hair is looking just disheveled. And she looks at me, and she says, Mark, they're both dead. And I say, Catherine. And she says, Catherine and Mary are dead. You need to get Lisa home. And I said, Catherine. And she said, yes, they're dead. You need to get her home. And I remember just looking at the ground, and I'm thinking, what, what is actually happening here? And just then I hear the footsteps of Lisa coming up behind me. I turn around to her. She looks at me and she says, Mark, they won't tell me anything. Do you know where my sisters are? They won't tell me anything. Can, you, can we call your dad? He's the sheriff. Where are my sisters? Are they okay? And I look at her and I say, you know, Lisa, I'm sure they're fine. Let's just go home and maybe there's some good news for us. And she goes, are you sure they're okay? And I said, I'm sure they're fine. Let's just go home. So we walk out to the parking lot. I'm thinking, how am I going to keep this all together? How am I going to keep myself? How can I drive? I can barely see straight. We get in the car, and it's about a 20-minute drive through the vineyards and the fields of Central California, where we're from. And she lives at the end of this long country road, and it's hard to find. I just remember driving, and I'm trying to make chit-chat. We're talking about our futures. I'm going to Los Angeles to go to college. She's going to the Bay Area. The, our futures are in front of us. We have lots of great things to look forward to, and I can't quite talk about those. And I say, Lisa, have you figured out what you're going to write for your senior English project? She stopped for a second, and she leaned up, and she looked at me, and she said, yeah, I think I'm going to call it Thoreau went to Walden Pond because he was a trust-funding, tax-cheating slacker. And I knew that she was back in her groove, and I said... You know, that's really funny. I wish I could write like that. And she goes, Mark, you know, you need to keep up on your writing too. I said, Lisa, there's no money in it, and I'm not really that good at all. And she said, it's not for the money, Mark. It's for the ladies. And you're going to need that when you go to college. <laughs> and she was always my wingman. She was my friend to the end. And I'm thinking about all this, and we're, for a moment, I've forgotten almost what's happening and I'm driving down the road and I turn left and I'm about a quarter mile down the road. My headlight beams hit the phosphorescent letters on the back of the car and it says sheriff. And she grabbed my arm so tight I could 
feel her nails dig in and I couldn't move the stick shift. I had to pop the clutch and let the car roll to a stop in front of her house. And we just sat there for a second. And she said, are you going to come in with me? And I said, yeah, I'll come in with you. And we'll wait. We'll find some good news. She let go of my arm. I turned the car off. We got out and I held her hand. And she sort of led me up to her house along the path. And I could hear some talking inside. And she opened the door. She crossed the threshold, and I could see two deputies there who I recognized, and some other people that I didn't. I just let her hand go. And the sheriffs or the deputies closed the door behind her, and I stood there for a second, and I started to walk off. And as I'm walking off, I hear the most painful, moaning wail I've ever heard in my life, and I've never heard anything like that. And I'm thinking, there's my friend in there having her heart ripped out, and I'm here walking away. I didn't know why, because every lesson of my childhood, stand up straight, chest out, chin out, semper fidelis, you can count on me because I'm your man. But I wasn't a man. I was an 18-year-old kid, barely keeping it all together. And I felt so guilty, and I felt so bad, and I felt so sad for her. And I felt sad for me, too, you know? I thought this was going to be a great summer. I thought there were going to be great things for me. And then I felt guilty about thinking about me. And my friend was there. So I got home, and the next morning I wake up, and my father comes into my room, and he sits down on the bed next to me, and he says, Son, I hear you had a tough night last night. Do you want to talk about it? And he put his hand up, rubbed my hair, and left it on the side of my face. And I said, No, I don't want to talk about it. But really, what I wanted to say is, I want you to talk about it. I want you to sit there and you tell me that I'm okay. I did the right thing. I couldn't have done any more. I did my best. It may not have been big enough, but it was my best. And that's enough sometimes. I went downstairs and my mom asked me, do you want to talk about it, Mark? No, I don't want to talk about it. There's a funeral then, the beginning of the week. It was a small little church about this size, full of people. It was crowded, very, very crowded. And I sat in the back, and I could see Lisa up there, and I could see her mom and her dad, and all of our friends were sitting together, and I couldn't bring myself to walk up there, you know, because I felt I let her down. Nobody came back and saw me, though, and I wanted to raise my hand and say, hey, you know, I was there, too. This is part of my tragedy. That's what an 18-year-old kid, I guess, thinks. And I left that funeral, and the next time I saw Lisa was two weeks later, graduation night. We had a bittersweet party at the end. Um, and man, look at Cindy Lauper again in the background. And Lisa comes up to me, and she looks right at me. And she says, Mark, did you know? Did you know? And I looked at her, and I said, no, I didn't know. And a couple of her girlfriends took her. And I lied to her again. I don't know why I did that. You know, I had two weeks to think about it. The time enough for moral courage, you know, where you have to stop and think about the cost and then you do the right thing. I don't know why I did that, but I wore that with me for 20 years. For 20 years, I didn't talk to Lisa. We all went off to college. We both went off to graduate school. I moved to the East Coast. She moved to Germany. I moved back to Portland. She moved to Silicon Valley and married her high school sweetheart. Very good friend of mine. I didn't get an invitation to the wedding. And uh, 
I got a letter in the mail and it said, high school reunion. I told my wife, you know, she's gonna be there. I gotta talk to her. So we go to the reunion and sure enough, I see her come in and she sees me. And a few minutes later, she walks over to me and she says, hi Mark, how are you? And for me, 20 years was gone and it was like five minutes ago, I was standing on that porch at her house and I said, I'm sorry, I knew. I'm sorry, I knew. And she looked at me and I could see that smile straighten a little bit. I could see her eyes well up and I could see her breathe in. And she said, thank you for getting me home. And then she just walked off. And I didn't see her again. It's been 10 years. So two weeks ago, I get an email. Reunion time. And you know, I'm going to see her probably in about two months. And if I see her, you know, I hope I can just sit down with her and say, Lisa, you know, I was just a kid and I am so sorry that I couldn't be there for you the way that I thought I needed to be. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your little girls. I'll tell you about my little boys and I'll tell you how I hope they have friends like you when they're in high school. Can you tell me that? And most of all, I want you to know that I did my best and that's just had to be good enough and it's good enough to get me home and it was good enough to get you.